If you're just joining us, this is a live show. We're on my server right now. <laughs> We're trying to be in a good mood, and I'm just going to tell you, even more so than usual, that this is going to be a very free-willing show. It's been a real interesting week for me personally, even though I haven't done anything. Um, <laughs> and I'm just... I gotta say from the bottom of my heart, I'm so grateful for you all. But this is where I usually make the pitch like, if you come on out, and if you if you came on out to a live show and earlier and what have you, you would have had such an amazing time. Um, this is definitely not that pitch. I'm just being honest with you. I <laughs> I'm basically just talking about my feelings and thoughts in real time at this point um, uh, with this particular week. And... and with the effect that it's had on me, and uh, I, I imagine lots of yours as well. So just to harken back to just kind of like where I am right now, and and I promise we're gonna we're gonna try our best to have a, a good show. I wasn't okay personally with nine eleven when it happened. I wasn't okay again. I didn't feel like I was gonna be okay again until John Stewart cried. John Stewart crying for some reason, just unlocked something in me. I, I was a fan, but I wasn't the biggest fan. Uh, but something about him crying on The Daily Show... I mean, I cried too, obviously, but I had cried many times before then. This isn't like a cathartic cry. But just it just made me think, like, all of these feelings were okay. It just... I, don't, I didn't have the same emotional... Or, or intellectual framework when it came to my emotions. This is before I'd really been to therapy. I've been to therapy a little bit as a kid, but I didn't take it seriously. It was mandated. And on and on it goes. And there's something about that act and that realness made it okay for me. <clears throat> and I don't know if I'm going to be okay for you or I'm going to make anything okay for you, but I I do want you to to know that I am forcing the sexiness and that I want to and that I like to and that I, I in a way almost think like I was built for this and ready for this in a way um, and so what I really want to do more than anything in March in April in May in 2020 beyond is I want to be an entertainer and I want to be entertaining and I want to be authentic and I, I think I can do that all I do. And I think I can I think I can go the distance. And this is just me saying <laughs> it's going to get weird, it's going to get crazy, it's going to get more hectic and more frantic from here. And it's going to be okay. We're going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. You're going to be okay. All of these statements are true. It's going to get weirder. It's going to come quicker. Reality is going to seem to be like it's warping more and more. And it's going to be okay. And it's just people making it up as they go along. And if anything has taught me anything, <laughs> it's that apparently human perspectives can change very quickly. Very, very quickly. Because I have to say, I want you to imagine this just as, just as well as you can. I've been imagining <clears throat> Christmas Jack a lot because Daddy didn't do shit for those two weeks, not knowing that these, you know, X amount of time was coming up. 
I, you know, I really scheduled myself some real sitting around time. It was my Christmas gift to myself, if you remember. Oh, I'm going to get the tree, and I'm going to decorate it, and I'm going to have the house, it's going to be quiet, and I'm going to sit, and I'm going to relax, and that's my Christmas gift to myself. Remember that? <clears throat> well, I shouldn't have fucking taken it, because apparently that Christmas gift was just like an early gift of 2020 to my fucking self. Because I didn't need that goddamn shit at all, that's exactly what we're all going to be doing here. But I just want you to recall that that's what my mindset was, right? Like, oh my god, I'm just so wound up, and I just need to heal, and I just need to relax, that the ultimate Christmas gift to me wouldn't be a vacation away with a beautiful woman on a ski resort, or a beautiful cruise ship with a lovely, lovely tad lady of the night, or, 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 or. The ultimate vacation for me is laying back and doing nothing and watching movies and catching up on TV shows and reading and relaxing and sleeping 10 to 12 hours a day for two weeks. That's all I want. With lots of weed and lots of booze, and I got it, and it was amazing, and I loved it. I loved it. It was fantastic. It was a great Christmas. But I keep thinking back to that Jack, and I keep thinking back to him, and if some portal would open up behind him, and I jumped out... In my, in my dirty, because I'm not going to a laundromat hooded robe. <laughs> and I'm like, and I say the code word so that he knows it's me. Check a previous episode for that discussion. We've got a code word for when I'm time traveling. So we go through the, we go through the verification protocol, right? We get that done. You don't need to know how many steps. And then, <laughs> who are you working for? And then, after we make sure that we know that we're us, after we all know that we're sure that we're us, yeah, then I say to him, <laughs> so some things happen in the next 90 days. And it's going to sound like the good things that you've always wanted, but maybe we should have been more specific. And I'm just telling you this. I'm not going to give you any of the ways that we get here, but these are all bad things. I, I'm telling you right now, these are all really bad headlines, and I'm just giving you the end point like, a, like an achievement in a puzzle game. I'm giving you a little hint with the title of what the achievement could be, and then you got to play the game all the way through and figure out, oh, that's how you get that achievement. So here you go. Here's some headlines you're going to hate. You're going to read these headlines, and you'll think Christmas of 2019, Jack, you're going to love these headlines, but you're not going to like them at all. Ready? Here we go. Number one, airlines in trouble. Ooh, see? That sounds fun in Christmas 2019. Doesn't that sound like, yeah! Yeah! Ooh! Oh, fuck them. I hate those guys. Oh, I hate those bastards. <laughs> Airlines in trouble. Colon. Rates never lower. It's a horrible headline. You will hate that headline in 2020, 2019, Jack. You will fucking hate it. Headline number two. Bob Iger of Disney resigns suddenly. See, see, in 2019, 
Christmas time, I would love to have clicked on that fucking headline and be like, oh, yay, that's a lot of fun. Look at that. I hate Bob Iger, that piece of fucking shit. He has ruined the American movie industry, just destroyed it with his toxic fucking money and personality. But I didn't know it was because there was an apocalypse coming over the hills. There's no difference. Okay, I can see that the business headlines are not winning people over. Let's skip ahead. Oh, God. Okay, that's a business. That's a business. That's a business. That's a business. Okay. Oh, here's one, though, that's kind of popular as well. All right. Headline number seven. Ready? Here we go. <laughs> Elon Musk says it's all a hoax. See? Fun Fun story in 2019. Fun story in 2019. Ooh, what's what's Elon think of hoax now? Ooh, what's that rascal? Ooh, what's the simulation making a hoax about Elon? What's the simulation saying is a hoax now, Elon? Ooh, what do you got for us? Ooh, did you tweet that on the way back and forth from your moon car in your private tunnel? Ooh, yes, okay. You're good. You're so smart, Elon. You're so smart. Why don't you make another flamethrower? You're such a smart boy. It's a fun headline. My point being is that, like, you go back even just a couple of months, you go back just a hundred days, and there's absolutely positively just a total change. But the biggest I've seen even if I came through that portal three weeks ago, even if you were really informed on COVID-19, because you were a listener of this podcast, but even, like, if you, like, knew about this before most people did and, like, really believed it for whatever reason and thought about that, could you really believe for one fucking second if you looked in the mirror, if you knew it was you from the future saying it, and you would look yourself in the eyes and you would say, God fucking bless those selfless, tireless grocery stockers. Could you imagine that you, three weeks, 21 days ago, that is the 29th day of, could you imagine that you might think about the people who work in fast food and grocery stores the way that American propaganda has always wanted to make you think about the military? And the cops? Because I sure didn't. I'm seeing a lot of people that I know to be unrepentant, worthless fucking assholes to customer service representatives suddenly be real grateful about grocery store workers. I've never seen anything like it in my fucking life. This is the, this is the, this is the Bill Murray speech from Ghostbusters. Cats and dogs living together. That's this speech to me. Seeing middle class white people that I know are just assholes to service representatives going out of their way to tweet like, Oh my God. All I can say is thank you. Thank you to each and every last person who woke up before the crack of dawn to make sure that we had the essentials we needed. God bless you. God bless America. Hashtag MAGA. Hashtag CAGA. <laughs> I... 
read this thing by this thought leader. And when I say thought leader, I know that you think that I'm talking about the guy who's in the corner of the house where everybody is ODing on drugs as we speak, and I am buying the drugs from him so that I can join them. But I'm not. When I say thought leader on this one, I actually mean a thought leader. There's a great article in Politico that actually goes over 30 different thought leaders and their thoughts about what's going to happen because of this. And he was one of them. I was going through their theory. I was like, hey, I read this guy's thing. And this guy was actually just proposing. I was thinking about how, like, really interesting and how, how, how fascinating it was that we really are seem to be talking about service workers the way we used to talk about American service members all of a sudden in March of 2020 in America. And he, he wasn't talking about that particular, but he was saying that the idea of service, of what is service orientation in America, will change if this lasts long enough, essentially. And I wanted to bring that idea to you about these grocery store workers. And it's going to go back to something that I thought when I was a teenager, <laughs> and I'm going to quote myself from when I'm a teenager, and it's not going to be in a snooty, sarcastic tone because I think it all keeps together. This is attempting to be a message of hope. So this is what the thought leader said. <clears throat> he said that if this goes on long enough, that the way that we are supposed to, quote unquote, think about like service people in America or like the Dutch think about teachers or the way that people are supposed to be given status for their employment because they're doing something good. In the exact same way that we have that, but we don't really think about people in a good way, we might think about doctors and nurses like that by the end of this. If it gets bad enough, and if it's long enough, we might think about those as the selfless people, the heroes, the givers in our society, the support, the pillars. And all of the changes that comes along with them and the support staff for them, if bad enough things happen. I, I promise this is going to get upbeat. This is very important because I know that you read the same social media and you have the same conversations with the same people in your life and you have the same Trump voters that you, that you love if maybe you are one and, and this is outreach to you. I know that you have these people, you talk to these people, you see these people in your life. And I know that you see people that only really respect people if they're in certain professions or certain fields. But the thing of it is, is that's their error. That's their mistake. That's their bigotry. Those are their blinders. That's their bonnet. They're not seeing the whole picture. They're not seeing the value of a person. So that's on them. It really is. And we can get so caught up in status and how other people see us and how we're supposed to be seeing what's right, what's proper. So what I would ask of you in a time where all of that's upside down and we're really evaluating what's important to us again and how we're going to get through this and what it means, what, what, what are community values, what are personal values, what, what really does hold a society together and what furthers one? Great questions that... I legitimately don't think Americans have asked themselves in the 21st century yet. But maybe we will. And if you are, if you're, if you're one of those people of the world or in any country who's asking themselves these sorts of questions, then allow me to say that if you ask yourself these questions as a grocery clerk in February of 2020 compared to April 
of 2020, you might just come up with a different answer, given how everybody else is treating you and talking about you and your day in, day out, and how stressful it is. I mean, if you're a grocery clerk going to work and everyone is kind of snotty to you or kind of ignores you and you're not really there and the only thing you get is like questions and eye rolls, and then 60 days later, earning more money and getting thanks and praise and, and busting your ass and really working up a sweat and sometimes coming home with a blister in your boot because you're walking so many more miles per day, per week, because there's so much more to do. It's only natural that you might have a different view of yourself as you fall asleep at night, as you, your view and your role in the world, yeah? your status, what's going on, your role, your function. But that's external in a large degree. The work wasn't, the rest was. You had more work, but besides that, it was all external. It's all how other people are treating you. You have value. Your experience had value. Your thoughts had value before and after. It's the rest of the world that changed so quickly around it. This is hard to remember. The more that people scoff at or don't look at or eye roll at you when you're going through the day-to-day -day functions of your life, the harder this is to remember. And especially if you feel like that's the way it's always been and the way it'll always be. And this is what I'm going to go back to when I was a teenager. Forever and never. And words that you should never use, like forever and never. <clears throat> you should never really use these words about yourself because what if you were the stingiest motherfucking person on the planet? This is how teenage me would explain this concept. If you were the stingiest person on the planet, everybody knew that you were the most frugal, stingiest person. You never tipped anybody, 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 ever, anybody, anything in your life. And everybody knew that about you. Then you would be a stingy person. You went out to eat. You never tipped. You're stingy. You're stingy. That's who you are. You're stingy. Everybody knows you're stingy. You are stingy. Behind your back to your face. You are stingy. Everybody knows you are stingy. And then one night... The road to Damascus happens, a magical weight chef, short line cook saves your life, and you see the benefit, the, the, uh, the miracle of 34th Street to tipping. But you also have to leave town. You also get a job in the next state, and nobody comes with you. And when you go out now, you're tipping 30% every meal you go to, and you're a tipper, you're a big tipper, you tip and you tip and you tip and you're generous. Oh, you're so generous, and you're such a giver. You're such a giver. And you are. You are. No, no, no. Don't say you're stingy. You are a giver. You can't say you're stingy. It doesn't matter how many people said you're stingy. You're a giver. Everybody knows you're a giver. We all know you're a giver. So are you a giver or are you stingy? Well, it depends on who you would ask, wouldn't it? Because everybody knows that you're a giver in one town, and everybody knows that you're stingy in the other. So depending on who you ask, you're either a giver or stingy. So who are you? Well, I, I mean, obviously, it's, it's going through the arrow of time. But if you ask people in town one, you were always stingy and never generous. Town two, you're always generous and never stingy. So... My point being, when everything's topsy-turvy, when everything's upside down, when everything's a little bit confusing, remember that you always have that value.
that what people, what society, what income says is important is just that. It is, in effect, really horribly, at the end of the day, little different than social media likes. It's very different at the end of the day than accumulated thumbs-ups. But the people giving those thumbs-ups might have made a system where those thumbs-ups are really great for them, so they get more. And I understand that I'm going down a little bit of an esoteric path with that analogy, but really and truly, when you look at the money that people are paid or you look at the house that people live in, before something like this happens in yourself, it's real easy to say, I've always been like this, or it's always been, or it's never going to change for me, or I'm never going to be seen another way. But that's just not true. You're going to make it out to the other side of this, and you get to define yourself. The world does not get to define you. It says that it does, but it does not. It tries to, but it does not. The rules are very, very clearly as adaptable as the situation. Are we really going to pretend at the end of this that grocery store clerks are going to get the same amount of social media praise as they are through it? Doctors and nurses I can see becoming heroes, but they're not, even though they're being celebrated. Even though the president is almost on the daily talking about what heroes they are, is that going to stick in the same way? Probably not, I don't think. But the thoughts, the feelings, the experiences of them, what they are doing, it is heroic, it is good, always, never. You always have that experience, you always, 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 you never, never, never. So for going to use those words when people use them to describe themselves, you are never what you have been defined as up till now, and you are always capable of redefining yourself. Always. Okay? So, just think about that and remember everything is going to go back to normal. A new normal, probably, eventually, but normal. What that looks like when that happens, no clue, but normal. Yeah? So, just remember that when that normal finally does roll around and regulate itself, that you still get to be as extraordinary as you want. Okay. All right. So that's that part of it. And then the other part of it is I've got a new game now. I've tried not to drink. That's going to end after this show. I got some beer. Uh, but I've got this new drinking game, except it's with a vape pen. Uh, I invented it to get through the days, as it were, and so the rules of it are pretty simple. That is, I watch President Trump's press conference until I'm so aggravated I have to pause it, and then I take a big old rip. And then I unpause it, and on and on we go again. It has never in my life been so difficult to be a, an informed citizen of the United States of America, and I 
read through Trayvon Martin's entire the Zimmerman Martin ordeal. I I was there for Flint. I read that. Uh, you know, there's 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 a lot of American debates that I Matthew Shepard. You know that discourse. I got to. Ooh, I got a front seat to that one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> There's in me. I don't know what it is. The closest feeling I can use to describe it is: What if magic were real? What if? What if magic were real? Because I've never. I never go on jaunts like that, right? But what if magic were real? And, like, there were actually necromancers, and they could actually animate skeletons, and they could do it in an area of effect. And there was just, like, a necromancer down the road, and he's just all like, okay, skeletons, come this way. And, like, my skeleton didn't know that it wasn't ready yet. Like, it's not a skeleton skeleton yet. It's still in use, right? It's still like, oh, I gotta gotta jolt over. I gotta go over there. And that's what I feel. That's what I feel when fucking Trump talks so fucking stupid. Like, like I didn't know I could still get this mad at someone. Is this love? Would I make out with him if he was in the same room as me? Like, seriously, the effects that that has, the power that it has over me makes me wonder. Once again, we're... G- <laughs> Once again... We're going back to December, right before Christmas of 2019, and we're like, we're we're thinking about relaxing Jack and me trying to tell that guy, hey, Trump's going to piss you off like never before. Come on. No, really, dude. Trump is going to just pull your massive muscular ass cheeks apart and climb up your butthole and just start pounding your prostate with his tiny little fist from the inside. He's going to drive you insane in a way he's never... See, maybe I'm in love with him. Do you hear how erotic that was? (laughs) The rom-com you've always been waiting for. Uh, I've become his press secretary. That's how it happens. <laughs> yeah, I can see it now. <laughs> uh, I just say beautifully. I just say, I just, every time they're like, how would the president describe? And I would say beautifully. And I'd say it with a straight face. And he'd be like, that's good. That's good. That's how I would describe it. I would describe it as beautifully. Oh my god, this actually writes itself! Fuck it, we're not doing erotic audio anymore! This is now going! Yes! Yes! Let's do it! Alright! Okay, act one. Uh, Stumpin' for Trumpin'. Here we go. Interior. White House. (laughs) Oh no, I'm getting sprayed in the live chat to tell me no. Alright, I guess I have to keep doing this. I... Dr. Fauci has got to be one of the most intelligent people in the world, and he has become my spirit animal. 
because he's this tiny little man on this stage of giant fat dudes. He's this tiny little guy. And he has to sit there for sometimes an hour and a half a day, a day, and just not make a face. Now, I'm high as a motherfucker at home, and I'm screaming sometimes at what Trump says. Sometimes he'll say something, and I'll literally just, I'll just scream. I will. But Fauci just has to stand there. He just has to stand there. And he's so smart. And he stands there with his arms in front of his, his, his lap, in his front of his, you know, he's really, you can't touch his face or anything. He can't hide. He can't do anything. And there'll just be this look in his eyes because nobody's looking forward. It's the craziest press conferences I've ever seen. It's my favorite show. I love it. I totally understand why people into the Kardashians now. In a normal press conference, people are staring ahead and smiling, but everyone in these are just like looking at the ground or some vague point where no other human being has to be. They're looking at one of the many now empty chairs in the White House press room. And sometimes Trump will say something so stupid, so stupid, that Fauci won't realize it until 10 to 15 seconds later. His brain will actually have to, like, work overtime to try and break it down from Trump-level stupidity into Fauci-level, like, what? And so there'll just be this pause where Trump will say it, and then 10 to 15 seconds later, the eyebrows are furled, and you'll see the dark little dots appear in Fauci's eyes of, Oh, God, that just killed another 75 people in Omaha. Oh, God damn it. Oh, son of a... <laughs> and I mean, like... Nobody's asked. I kept thinking I I'm gonna be I'm gonna I'm just gonna level with you guys. I really am. I had this little speech prepared in case I got like a bunch of DMs or messages about like, Daddy, are you gonna be okay? Daddy, like I had this whole thing. It's like, oh wow, like I got really high and I couldn't get drunk. I got super. I allowed myself to get higher than I've gotten in a long, long time, like a week ago. I was like, oh man, the girls are gonna be like, oh, the girls are gonna be like. Freaking out, like, oh my god, what are we gonna do? I came up with this little speech that I was gonna give you when girl after girl after girl after girl came to me worried about me and my future, even though it didn't happen once. And <laughs> it it basically just went a little something like this. It basically was just like, baby, don't worry. I'm going to be absolutely okay, everything's weird and twisty, but I've always lived my life, so I don't have a lot of debt, a lot of concern, I can do it from home. Thank you so much for all your concern and all that, really, truly. Um, to just try and assuage you, just try and give you a little bit of the good good. What I'm realizing now is that I'm going to need to be Dr. Fauci throughout this, because I don't have the energy to do that all the way through. I'm going to just need to Fauci my way through the hard parts. Like, sometimes that guy, he gives information, like, he's real gentle, and he's real soft, and he'll be all like, 
yeah, well, you know, uh, the, the flattening the curve is it's going to be difficult. It's going to take us together. But sometimes he'll just come up and he'll just grab that motherfucking mic like he's a Def Jam comic. And he'll just be all like, hey, John, here's the thing, okay? The malaria drug could work. Maybe the malaria drug doesn't work. But you talking about it doesn't work for me either way, all right? Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't work. Maybe you shut your fucking face. Thank you. And I mean, there's nothing really wrong with that approach either at the end of the day, when you really think about it. Like, that kind of works too. So I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna Fauci it every once in a while. I'm gonna get grumpy, I'm gonna Fauci it, and it's gonna be weird. Now I am gonna say, because I did bring on Elon Musk earlier before we get into the actual request, thank you for everybody who brought one, that... I was terrified of being called a pedo until Elon Musk just started firing that insult from a cannon, from like a t-shirt cannon and anybody who displeased him. Like, it's just kind of like a scarlet letter and like, you know, like the YouTube community is very young and like I tried to keep that as 18 and classy as possible, but you can't stop a fucking 15 year old from coming in and looking at your porn. I know, I was 15 on the internet. You can't stop us. We're invincible. We know things about the internet you can't even fucking dream about. We've put the internet on your refrigerator for fucking fun. So, like, I was just always worried that even though I keep it classy and shit, I really try and I wasn't, like, aiming. And I think if you listen to my stuff, I'm making it clear that I am not trying for the fucking Lisa Frank cloud, right? Really, truly. I think so. But if other people accuse you of something, I was always a bit terrified of that. Now, this is this is all this is because of my background and my parents and and marijuana's helped with this and like any accusation I used to be like really afraid would stick. But that one you could see how it could hurt me, right? Like that one like is an actual like if people really started saying that about me, that would be bad. And then Elon Musk was just all like, fuck you, pedo guy. And then like all the news reports had to report on that. And so there were just a year and a half of headlines of pedo guy lawsuit moving forward. Pedo guy on plane from Geneva. And like it just kind of took I was like, oh, Okay, I guess that's not the end of the world if somebody just says that to you. And it just took, like, the sting out of that fucking missile, right? It took the exact same thing out of that. In the exact same way, boy, howdy, does being called crazy these days not really, like, get my goat the same way. Oh, oh, am I crazy? Ooh, I'm so sorry. How did sanity work out for you, asshole? Huh? Huh? How did sanity work out for you these last couple of years? Trump got inaugurated January 20th. We're, we're like, we're like 1,200 days in. How's it worked out for you these last 1,200 days, you unemployed fucking asshole? Huh? How's, how did going to night school and taking on debt and being responsible and going on in to kiss your boss's ass, not taking sick days, and doing everything right, being a good boy, and brushing your teeth, washing, I mean, I do some of these too, and not stopping at traffic. How did all that work out for you? How did being normal work out for you, asshole? So being called crazy doesn't hurt. Now, one last thing. That's like the fifth last thing, right? 
There's if you're an American. I really, 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 really want to make an appeal to you that one day we're going to travel again to other countries. And when we do, they're going to be really happy to see us because we're going to have money. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be really, it's going to be an interesting dynamic. There's going to be Americans going places. And for once, they're not going to be pissed off. So when that happens, when we actually when we actually reestablish norm normality and and uh, <laughs> all that sort of thing, and we're traveling to other countries, we get to we get to remake the American traveler stereotype. It's the ugly American traveler stereotype now, and we get to remake it. But right before, right before the air travel kind of stopped this year, there were two stories about Americans in the UK, and these are both true stories. You can look them up if you want. And they both happened in the last 50 days. But one of them was in Scotland. Uh, one of them was, I want to say, Ireland. One was Scotland for sure. And both of them took place in a hotel. And both of these Americans left a message for staff complaining about the toiletries. <laughs> and both of these Americans complained about European soap. <laughs> one again in in Scotland, one I want to say Ireland. The problem being is that both of these Americans had about the same complaint. One of them had a yellow bar, one of them had a brown one about the soap not smelling right, not doing a very good job cleaning no matter how much they applied it in the shower, although they appreciated it very much. As it turns out, one of them was washing herself with a toffee bar, and the other was washing themselves with a block of cheese. These are small, individually wrapped confections in baskets lying around the hotel room that these two Americans opened up, took into the shower, and rubbed all over themselves, said, huh, kept rubbing all over themselves until they completed and then left a review in print that could be uploaded to the internet. What I'm saying is, in order for America to get through this without being a laughingstock, we're going to have to pay more attention and wash our hands with actual fucking soap. Okay, that is the introduction of the show. Thank you very much for being a part of it. Let's get into the requests. Click, 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 click. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> Last thing, number six. That's a joke. Hope is the thing with feathered... Ah, goodness. One more time. <clears throat> Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. And sweetest in the gale is heard and sore must be to the storm. 
that could abash the little bird that kept so many warm. I've heard it in the chillest land and on the strangest sea, yet never in extremity it asked a crumb of me. Hope is the Thing with Feathers by Emily Dickinson Remember what you must do when they undervalue you, when they think your softness is your weakness, when they treat your kindness like it is their advantage. You awaken every dragon, every wolf, every monster that sleeps inside you, and you remind them what hell looks like when it wears the skin of a gentle human. Fire by Nikita Gill <laughs> Well, this one's got a great title. Let's see how we think of it. <clears throat> a heap of wheat, says the Song of Songs, but I've never seen wheat in a pile. Apples, potatoes, cabbages, carrots make lumpy sacks, but you are sleek as seal hauled. In the winter sun, I can see you as a great goose egg or a single and juicy ripe peach. You swell like a natural grassy hill. You are symmetrical as a hopewell mound with the eye of a navel wide open, the eye of my apple, the pear's port window. You're not supposed to exist at all this decade. You're supposed to be flat as a kitchen table so children with roller skates can speed over you like those sidewalks of the childhood that give you different roar under the wheels. You're required to show muscle striations like the ocean sand at the ebb tide, but brick hard. Clothing is not designed for women whose warm and fragrant bodies are the swelling parts. Yet I confess, I meditate with my hands folded on you, a maternal cushion radiating comfort. Even when I have been at my thinnest, you have never abandoned my butt curled around as a sleeping cat under my skirt. When I spread out, so do you. You like to eat, drink, and bang on another belly. In anxiety, I clutch you with nervous fingers as if you were a purse full of calm. In my grandmother standing in the fierce sun, I see you, cauldron that held eleven children, shaped under the tent of her summer dress. I see you and my mother at thirty in her flapper gear, skinny legs, and then you, knocking on tight dress. We hand you down like a prize feather quilt. You are our female shame and our sunburst strength. Belly Good by Marge Piercy. <clears throat> After we got word of the movie, we all began brushing our fur back with river water, fastening orchids to our knuckles, wearing tuxedos stitched of black moss. They must be coming, we told each other, chewing sage and mint to cut the meat from our breath. We must be ready to receive them.
We collected every dead tree for miles, stripped them with our claws, built a dance floor, hung chandelier of robin's nests and glowworms from the elbow of an oak. The crickets strum their legs to the chirping of the tree frogs. The tree frogs matched the woodpecker's rhythm and took his cue from the black bear moaning in a den. The herons came and taught us to dance, to step lightly, mindful of delicate things. We only ever learned to trample and snarl, to be locomotive-bearing stockpiles of terror, grinding through the farm girl's nightmares. But what if it were not true? What if there was gentle in our savage? What if our paws upon a fragile throat could mean something beautiful? That night we turned the forest into a ballroom, the clouds alive with light and song. We waited for them to come, imagined them in dizzy blue dresses, skin of sculpted milk, hands light as fog. They would touch our tusks like piano keys, kiss our dreaded shoulders, pull princes from our bull-goblin bones. We waited and waited and waited counting stars as they fell from the sky like petals, dreaming we could change back into something we'd never been. For who could learn to love a beast? Slow Dance with Sasquatch by Jeremy Raiden That was an interesting one. <clears throat> lips language to lips, ears. Two drinking each other's heart, it seems. Two roving loves, and who have left home pilgrims to the confluence of lips. Two waves rise by the law of love to break and die in two sets of lips. Two wild desires carving each other meet at last on somebody's limits. Love's writing, a song. In dainty letters, layers of kiss calligraphy on the lips, plucking flowers from two sets of lips, perhaps on tread into chain later, this sweet union of lips. It is the red marriage bed of pear, of smiles. The kiss, and I'm, I'm going to make an attempt here, this is quite a name. The kiss, Rabindranath Tagore. So... R-A-B-I-N-D-R-A-N-A-T-H, last name T-A-G-O-R-E. Rabindranath. Wow, that's quite a name. I've never seen anything quite like it. <clears throat> the time will come when, with elation, you will greet yourself arriving at your own door, in your own mirror. And each will smile at the other's welcome and say, Sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you ignored for another, who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your own image from the mirror. Sit. Feast on your life.
Love After Love by Derek Walcott <clears throat> Go placidly amid the noise and haste and remember what peace there may be in silence. As far as possible without surrender, be on good terms with all persons. Speak your truth quietly and clearly and listen to others, even the dull and ignorant. They too have their story. Avoid loud and aggressive persons, their vexations to the spirit. If you compare yourself with others, you may become vain and bitter. For always there will be greater and lesser persons than yourself. Enjoy your achievements as well as your plans. Keep interested in your own career, however humble. It is a real possession in the changing fortunes of the time. Exercise caution in your business affairs, for the world is full of trickery. But let this not blind you to the virtue there is. Many persons strive for high ideals, and everywhere life is full of heroism. Be yourself. Especially, do not feign affection, neither be cynical about love for the face of all its aridity and its disenchantment. It is perennial as the grass. Take kindly the counsel of the years, gracefully surrendering the things of youth. Nurture strength of spirit to shield you in sudden misfortune, but do not distress yourself with dark imaginings. Many fears are born of fatigue and loneliness beyond a wholesome discipline. Be gentle with yourself. You are a child of the universe, no less than the trees and the stars. You have a right to be here. And whether or not it is clear to you, no doubt the universe is unfolding, as it should. Therefore, be at peace with God, whatever you conceive him to be, and whatever your labors and aspirations in the noisy confusion of life. Keep peace with your soul, with all its sham, drudgery, broken dreams. It is still a beautiful world. Be cheerful. Strive to be happy. Well, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce the title of this poem. Uh, I don't know this word, if it is one. Desiderata. Desiderata? D-E-S-I-D-E-R-A-T-A. Desiderata. Desiderata? It's like decide, but with an S instead of a C. That's an interesting word. And that's by Max Ehrman. M-A-X-E-H. R-M-A-N-N, -N, Max Ehrman. That was very beautiful. Thank you to whoever suggested that one. Very much needed. I wish I'd saved it for last, but here is the last poem of the evening. I hope you've enjoyed. Ali, would you be so kind as to teach all of the girls who have not done it before how to do quick quotes? All you got to do is put what you want me to say if you've come to a live show in quotations. And I'll be happy to say it for you, just my way of saying thank you for coming out to the live show. Okay. 
If we could hold applause at the live show, please. I appreciate all the applause. You've all been so lovely. If you could let all the girls go ahead and get their quick quotes in, if you do want to have one at the live show, come on. Put them on in. You know you want me to say something for you. It's been a hell of a week. Put them on in. Put them on in. There we go. There we go. All right. Here we are. <clears throat> Last poem. Are we going out today, you say, limbs thick with fluey boredom? Books and tellies, well and good, but a growing boy needs his hungry canvas of sky. The dew-gemmed grass of the park christening his <laughs> pilsums? Plimsolls. You ask again, nose pressed to the glass. Not today. I say, recalling how it was to be small, bemused by grown-ups, their tight frowns and grieving shoulders. I brought you into this world. I do not know. All I can do is discover it with you. We sit by the foggy window, a secret cinema. A squirrel runs across a wall. You count the magpies, wave back to the lonely trees in the neighbor's garden. You press your perfect hands to my wet cheeks and tell me it's the best film you've ever seen. Hmm. Quarantine Poem Number 2 by Vanessa Kisul And that is poetry for this evening. Thank you again to everybody who suggested it. I don't have anything to vamp with because we can't go outside like the quarantine poem just said. I guess I'll sip some water. I've been doing all this writing lately. I'm up on commissions, but I'm behind on my Patreon. Not because I'm out of stuff, but just because I've been writing it and I haven't done commissions yet. And then, with all the stuff this week, on a personal note... I uh, I just had a little trouble sleeping, but uh, I got beer for after the show, so between vaping and beer, I won't have no trouble sleeping no more. I promise you that. I'm just waiting for a couple of uh, quick quotes of girls' things to come on in. Maybe I should have said so earlier. Maybe you were all having so much fun with the poetry, you could barely stop your hands from shaking. That's how I'm going to interpret it, at least. <laughs> Ah, ah, no matter who you are, or where you are, or how you are, I hope you feel like things are going to get better, move ahead, get stronger for you. I do. Bottom of my heart, all of yours. Okay, I guess we're not doing many quick quotes today, but that's okay. Let's get the ones that we have out and reward the girls who are here. <clears throat> You did so well this week. Good girl. You've been such a good girl, Chastity. I'm very proud of you girls. Come here, baby girl. You know you need it strong and hard. Keep going, Angel. We've got this. Chemistry is you touching my arm and setting fire to my mind. You are stronger than you think. You will get through this, baby girl. 
You've got this, baby girl. Do your work, Mango. I know how hard this week was, Catherine, but you did very well, and I'm so proud of you. All right, guys, thank you very much to everybody who came out and everybody who requested a quick quote. I appreciate it and you very much. We have got one love letter. I thought there were two. I was wrong. So I hope you enjoy this one. <clears throat> Dear Miss Aunt, I must come and see you and speak to your heart. Everything should be simple and clear and pure between us. We never know what can become for others through our being. The path of your life will take is well hidden. We must be reconciled to that, and my loyalty to you shall only help you remain true to yourself. Be happy. That is not my wish for you. Only when you are happy, that... Be happy. That is now my wish for you. Only when you are happy will you become a woman who can give happiness and around whom all is happiness, security, repose, reverence, and gratitude to life. Just once I would like to be able to thank you and, with a kiss on your pure brow, take the honor of you being into my work. Why is love rich beyond all the possible human experiences and such sweet burden to those seized in its grasp? Because we become what we love, and yet we remain ourselves. Then we want to thank the beloved. We find nothing that suffices. We can only thank with ourselves. Being close is a matter of being at the greatest distance from the other. The other's presence suddenly breaks into our lives. No soul can come to terms with that. A human fate gives itself over to another human fate. And the duty of power, love, is to keep this giving alive as it was on the first day. This withdrawal from everything human and breaking off all connections is, with regard to creative work, the most magnificent human experience I know. One's heart is ripped from one's body. The evening and your letters have renewed my certainty and everything stays close to what is good and becomes good. You, even in your situation, must be happy, as only those with a young heart and strong expectations and faith can be at prospect of a new world, new learning, fresh air, growth. May each of us be a match for the other's existence. That is, for the freedom of faith, for the inner necessity, for the unalloyed trust that will preserve a love. Although you have remained at present to me, as you were on the first day, your letter brought you particularly close. I'm holding your loving hands in mine and pray for you and your happiness. Ask what the 
innermost part of your heart, which has shone on me so often from your wonderfully deep eyes, and it will tell you, deep down, I am completely, purely sure of this trust. Your letter has shaken me as much as first being close to you did. Those days have returned with such elemental power thanks to this world of your love. For me, it was as if I had been favored to many a way, the ultimate and great, so as to receive it, the gift and the giving." as a new possession. I love you as I did on the first day. The path you showed me is longer and more difficult than I thought. The solitude of this path is self-chosen and is the only way of living given me. But the desolation that fate has kept in store would have taken me from the strength to live in this world Only you have a right to know this, because you have always known it. The path itself is nothing but the commitment our love makes us responsible for. I would lose my right to live if I lost my love for you. But I would also lose this love and its reality if I shrinked the responsibility it forces on me. We can only think with ourselves. Love transforms gratitude into loyalty to ourselves and unconditional faith into others. That is how love steadily intensifies its innermost secret. Love Letter Martin Heidegger to Hannah Arndt Well, that was beautiful. <clears throat> it started off in a way that I thought it was going to be one of those kind of more casual love letters, but that was very, very um, poetic and uh, very philosophical. <clears throat> I stand against the table, hands on the cool countertop, as you trace a fingertip down my spine. I feel the goosebumps tickle my back as you bend close to my ear. Were you a good girl today? You ask, the warmth of your breath against my neck. Yes? I answer quickly, too quickly. You silent, you're silent as your fingers move back up my spine and down my shoulders, brushing the thin straps of my dress down onto my arms. My mind races as your silence lingers. A few more seconds. I don't believe you. I consider protesting, but your hands are already softly snaked around my throat, gently pushing the side of my neck, and I think better of it as you tip my head back against your chest. Your other arm wraps around my waist, scrunching the fabric of my dress against my stomach as you press my back into your body. As you pull closer, kissing the slope of my neck, In your shoulder, my dress is pulled higher, pulling me onto my tippy-toes and exposing the lace of my panties. I suck in breath at the mercy of whatever your mouth and hands want to take from me. I feel you slowly harden against my ass as the adrenaline excitement makes me dizzy. I whimper once, faintly, as one warm, rough hand slides down between my legs and squeezes my thigh as your other hand tightens around my throat. 
you say, and I do, ready to obey you, as long as you don't stop. Were you a good girl? As your hand squeezes slightly harder, I find I can't answer. No? You ask one more time. My breath hitches as you feel, as I feel your palm press against my pussy with no warning. A moan escapes from my throat. I already want to beg and plead for you to touch me, to push my panties to the side and run your fingers down my slick wetness. I try to subtly cross my legs to get some satisfaction, not daring to touch myself with my own two hands before you let me. You suddenly release your hands and I feel your eagerness wash over me as you turn me around. My hands frantically try to pry your belt from its latch. You grab my hands, both my wrists encased in your grip, and you shove me to my knees. With your free hand, you reach into my back pocket. I'm too enamored with the shape of your hardness outlined by your taut jeans now at eye level to notice that you've pulled out a short length of soft rope and you're tying it around my wrists. With the yank of a knot, my hands are bound. You lift my arms and reach down to pull my dress over my head. I'm naked now, save for the small pair of lace panties, but eagerness overshadows any bashfulness. I look at your expression, trying to surmise your thoughts, wondering how to please you, willing to do it for you, whatever it costs me. You let my arms down and they fall into my lap. I'm impatient and edge closer on my knees to you. Stay, you say. I stop, settling into the floor again. Finally, you take off your belt, sliding it through its loops and gaze into my eyes from above me. You set your belt on the counter and arms reach. You gently push your hair back behind my ears. I close my eyes at the blissful touch, but suddenly feel you grab my hair and pull my head back to look at you. You know you need to be punished for lying to me. You say, keeping your steady gaze on mine as you pull down the zipper of your jeans and release yourself. I nod with what little range I have with my hair in your grasp. Suddenly, you push my head forward, my mouth opening to let all of your cock into it, the surprise making me gag as it pushes past my tongue and right into my tight throat. My face is completely pressed against you as my throat contracts in a panic. My hands are useless, grasping helplessly at your leg, and I feel my mouth filling with saliva. You pull my head back just as I feel the overwhelming need to gasp for air, spit connecting on your cock to my lips in the thin line. Before I get to a full breath, you shove your cock in into my mouth again and start stroking yourself with my warm tongue. My throat is telling me to stop, but my increasingly wet pussy is urging me to let me have my way with you. After a few moments, you push your hands onto the counter and push your back with me and your cock in, your mou- in my mouth. I'm flush against the cabinets and you're stroking into my mouth with abandon. The constant attack on my throat starts to make my eyes wander and drool starts sliding down the side of my mouth. You pound away, using my mouth like a pussy. Before long, saliva starts to run down my neck and tears are flowing down my cheeks. I'm panting and gulping for air when you pull away. I attempt to pull you into my mouth again, if only to let you know that you haven't pushed me too far. I'm still yours to use. Before I do, you tip my chin up and my spit coating my fingertips. Get up. 
you say. Without my hands, it takes me a second too long in your liking, and you reach down, pulling my wrists up, and I sense the eagerness in your body. You turn me away and push me down on the cold counter, my arms flung out in front of me. You spread my legs by kicking them to the side with yours, and suddenly my panties are being pulled down my legs so fast it nearly irritates my sensitive skin. I feel an eagerness bordering on panic, being exposed to you, the cold air touching my pussy as it drips down my thighs. Suddenly, I feel your warm fingers touch my sensitive clit, and I cry out unexpectedly from the sensation. Oh, God, you're a little slut. Oh, God, you're a little slut, aren't you? You muse. You encircle my clit with your fingers, your forearms against my ass as I already feel the excitement building into the explosion. I can't answer. You are, aren't you? Soaking just from someone using your mouth like a toy. I feel lightheaded. Answer me. I panic. I barely remember what you said. You take your magical touch away from me, and I scramble to make it reappear. No, please, please keep going. Answer me. Are you a little whore? You slap my ass hard, and I wince at it, leaving a burning sting on my skin. Yes, you spank me harder, and I yelp in pain. Yes, I say again, whose? I hesitate, not knowing if I want the fiery sting of another spank. Wrapped up through the thoughts, I don't realize your belt is missing. I hear the snap behind me, and then... I feel it, the crack of your belt against my skin. I feel the tears sting my eyes as I scramble to answer you. It's too late. You whip me again, surely leaving reap red marks on me. After I manage a sob, I tell you what you want me to hear. I'm yours, and I promise. My pleading is turned pitiful. I feel your satisfaction like a cool breeze on my skin. Tell me what the little whore wants, then. You say, I can feel your cock teasing me as it pushes against my pussy. I lift my face up as I try desperately to push back onto it, trying to mix the pleasure with the pain to satisfy the deep need I have to feel your cock in me. I'm desperate for you to feel me, to calm me. I push you against me. Swiftly, you reach forward and slap my face and grab my jaw with your powerful grip. I feel your chest against my back and I'm flattened against the countertop. I exhale and welt on my cheek, warming gradually. Tell me with your words. I reel from the slap, but I manage to obey. I want you to fuck me. Where? Wherever you want. I want you to fuck me wherever you want. Please. I feel like I'm spiraling into a warm bath of stinging pleasure and deliriously blissful pain. You stand straight. Bang for it. You say flatly. I utter a string of desperate pleas before you cut me off, shoving your thick cock deeply into my pussy with one hard push. I nearly scream from the explosion of pleasure radiating like tidal waves from deep inside me. My wrists are rubbed against the rope as my hands look mindlessly for something to hold on to, to anchor me to this world as it turns me upside down. My clit is throbbing, begging to be touched. But your hands are occupied in holding my throat with one, squeezing my ass with the other. You pound into me over and over again, each stroke making my eyes roll back and bringing me closer to a mounting orgasm that I know will rock my whole body. 
Your hands release my neck and you hoist my leg onto the counter, leaving my other foot a few inches off the floor. The change lets you push your cock deeper against me. You feel me so adeptly now that it's painful, and I yelp with each thrust. The unrelenting painful pleasure is close to cresting in an orgasm when suddenly your hands are pulling me from the counter onto the floor. Please, I'm so... You say, as I lower you onto the floor, desperately I want you to keep going. The weight of your body settles between my legs and my protests continue. You place a hand over my mouth, uttering a controlled, relax, or I won't give you what you want. I'm reduced to moans and whimpers through your fingers once again as you pound into my tight pussy. I'm feeling it building again quickly. Are you going to come for me? Using your little pussy? Getting fucked like a little doll? You're looking into my eyes, convincing me with a little smile of what I know is true. I'm a slut for you. You rule over my pleasure and my pain. I'm a slut for your cock, and I worship you if it meant to reward is the come. With your words and your quick, deep thrusts, I can't contain it any longer, and I'm finally completely undone. I scream into your cupped hand as waves of pleasure wash across my body and my back arches off the floor. I feel wetness cascade down my thighs and my eyes roll back as pleasure pours through me like rolling earthquakes. You gently coax me down from the delicious high you've given me with slender shhs in my ear. You silently move your hands to the back of my neck and keep my weak body in place for your final shoves into me. My clit is so sensitive that when you finally push all the way into me, the flood of my pussy and your cum makes me cry out as you press your body into mine and pant into my ear one last time. Your body collapses on mine with you still faintly pushing into me. Exhaustion overwhelms me and my eyes flutter closed to the feeling of your lips lightly pressing against my neck. What I Really Mean by Rough Kitten Fiction on Reddit And this will be the only time that I ask tonight before going into the final piece for the evening. If you are enjoying tonight's show, won't you be a patron? Won't you support it? The tip jar is open. It is open in the live room. It is open on the recording of the show below. I'm trying to only ask once each and every single time so that girls who don't have money can come out. But I do gotta ask... I know that it's hard out there. Please don't feel too much pressure. If it's tight for you, I understand. You'll make it up to me later. Your fandom, you being a fan of the podcast, you coming out means so much more. This is just me shaking the cup, passing around the collection plate, saying thank you. If you did enjoy the show, if you do have the money to spare, if you do want to slip a little money in Daddy's G-string, this is the best way to do it. Thank you so much for everyone who's considering it. And we've got... One last porn piece to go, and that's going to close out the show tonight. Okay? Very good. If you want more pieces, you're going to have to come back to future shows. You're going to have to go ahead and get one of our great moderators, Serena or Arya, or maybe even Ali herself. Hell, you can even DM me if you're feeling brave enough. 
Give us a little link. We'll tell you how to do it in the woodpad, and I'll be happy to read it. It's absolutely free. Thank you so much again. Okay. <clears throat> Laura is late. There is no escaping the fact that the clock tower outside my apartment had just loudly chimed six, and my spanky has yet to show. I walk around my bedroom, running my fingers over the implements I've set out in preparation. There's a tiny slapper, a small patent leather nothing of a toy, one whose hark will always be worse than its bite. There's a ruler, extra long, long-coated one for a maximum impact. There's the shiny black paddle, stern and strong, like me. There's the one with fur on one side for when you want to soothe her, or just lull her into a false sense of security. There's also the one with the strap, my belt, a wooden paddle. I probably would use them all on her, but I, I like to have them ready, just in case. I pace around, trying not to get too angry. Our spanking dates are about fun, mutual enjoyment. She bends herself over my knee and splays herself across my lap. Sometimes I sit in my chair fully clothed while she strips before me then and lies down, her long black hair brushing the floor. I have to wait for her to become totally still. She's that perfect blend of nervous and excited that makes her body gently hum and quiver. I pick up the strap and slap it against my hand. The noise and sting of it brings me back to earth. I look at the clock and see another ten minutes have passed. We've talked about this countless times. I've tried to instill in her the importance of punctuality, not only when she's meeting me, but generally. It is rude to be late. It insults the person you're meeting by prioritizing your schedule over theirs. She always nods contritely, and I give in to her even though once I almost sent her home without her dear spanking. My cock was pleading with me to go through with it, though, so I did. Though the lesson might have sunk in more if I had been a stronger man. My dates with Laura are about spanking and spanking only. You see, even though I'm dominant to the core, I'm in love with a sassy, whip-smart submissive named Evangeline. She knows she's got me wrapped around one of her tiny, delicate fingers, and I actually like it that way. On the surface, I call all the shots, telling her when she can and can't wear panties, supervising her nipple piercings, exerting control whenever and wherever I can. I know it makes her wet, and I give even the slightest command. Spread your legs further apart, I'll whisper in her ear on a crowded subway train. She'll turn and give me an infuriated but utterly aroused grin as she does. She's only playing at being mad because now her panties will be wet, her pussy seething, her mind racing for the rest of the way as she wonders what else I'll tell her to do later that night. We have an open relationship, but the door isn't flung all the way wide. We like to keep it partly cracked, just ajar enough so that other women like Laura can get in and get their spankings and punishment. They and I both crave. But horny as they make me, Evangeline has forbidden me from fucking them. I manage to work that energy and want into my scenes, even though sometimes it's hard to resist those wet pussy lips. I'm not allowed to stroke or enter. 
Laura's the worst of all, the biggest temptation, and sometimes she gets spanked extra hard because otherwise... I simply don't know what to do with all that pent-up arousal. Evangeline wins this, too, because after she comes over, I play. I fuck her so hard that she can feel it for days. I finally sit down on the bed, my hand lightly resting on the couch. There's no real way to simulate spanking a pretty, willing, needy girl's ass when you're by yourself. Watching videos doesn't quite do it for me. I need flesh and blood. I need to hear the beg. I need to look down at her face and see the answers written across her features at 6.45. My doorbell finally rings. I have to admit, I'd pretty much given up on her showing. Maybe we'll never see each other again, and while I'm disappointed to admit, what can I do? So I'm partly surprised, partly aroused, partly annoyed, and when I open the door, I see her standing and blowing her sweaty bangs off her face, looking contrite and bedragged by the goddamn sexy gods. She's pushing 30, but dresses like a schoolgirl, literally. She has on pleated plaid skirt, strategically ripped fresnets, big black platform shoes, and a skimpy little white tank top and no bra, letting anyone who cares to look to see the twin barbell piercings adorning her nipples. Her hair is in two black braids, black eye makeup smeared around her eyes, red lipstick emblazoned across her mouth. Those lips are so tempting, even more than her ass. I've had many fantasies about sinking my cock between them, letting her do what I'm sure she's brilliant at, letting that way she makes her sorry face, her mouth open, eyebrows up, hip cocked, make me want to fuck her. Since I can't do that, I just let my annoyance show. What took so long, I snap, blocking her entrance with my body, even though part of me longs to grab her and give her a hard, solid kiss. She says the train is delayed and she forgot something. She seems to be making excuses, her voice getting whiny. When she looks up at me, her eyes blaze both apology and defiance. I know she hasn't been deliberately late, so I'd spank her harder. We don't need to play those kinds of reverse psychology mind games. She's genuinely tardy, as Laura often is, and she just assumes that whoever's waiting will be patient enough and forgive her. All her friends have gotten used to it, considering themselves to be on Laura time when they're meeting her. Even I, for the most part, have adapted. But our spanking dates are special. I've made it clear that she needs to treat them with the utmost importance and care. If she's truly dedicated to our play, she needs to show it. Merely because she was late on purpose, though, doesn't mean that she's not trying to tease me into going easy on her. She steps forward, pushing me until I relent and let her inside, and then hand her automatically to my cock. She asks if I miss her with a smirk as she massages my dick. The rules of our relationship are clear. I can spank her and we can be naked together, but Evangeline doesn't want me touching her private parts. Her, mine. While we found ways to push the limits of those restrictions, I take care to abide by them, even though it's maddening sometimes to watch her pussy get wetter and wetter as I smack her ass and not be able to feel precisely what I'm doing to her. I grab her hand and shove it behind her back. She's a feisty girl, and she immediately tries to fight me, plunging us into a mock wrestling match, and I'm destined to win. Aren't you even going to 
say you're sorry, I ask, pinning her down so that her hands are raised above her head, her cheeks flushed, her breathing heavy as she surrenders to my superior strength. I know that she's, I know that even a little bit of immobilization has her aching to be spanked and fucked. Maybe, she says, her voice rising up to its sexiest lilt, even if she didn't have the slamming body and completely masochistic nature that she does, her voice could still do it to me every time. Maybe, oh, I think more like definitely, I'm going to make you feel very sorry, girl. You're 45 minutes late. I really should have left right away, and your punishment would have been to go home with your bottom as pale as it is right now. I'm going to make you pay, I say. Don't you worry. My cock is stiffening as I speak the stern words. She sticks her tongue out at me, but rolls over quite willingly when I let up on her arms and nudge her over. I decide to let off right there on the floor, pulling her shoes and tossing them into the far corner where they land with a thud. You're going to get 45 wax, one for every minute you were late. I know. You think that's nothing. But... Those all won't be with my hand. I'm not that dumb. I say, as I push her skirt up and yank off her fishnets, the tearing sound ringing pleasingly in my ears. Usually she gets totally naked, but her skirt is so short I can practically see her ass, and the image of the tiny garment shoved above her lower curves with the white cotton panties around her knees is too hot to resist. My dick is pressing upwards against her stomach as she does her best to make me come in my pants, wiggling and squirming. I shove my fingers through her mass of sleek hack hair and tug, watching her neck bend backwards just show. I tug harder, just enough to make her body ripple in pleasure. I tell her to stay still and that she's going to count for me. If she messes up, we'll have to start over. She gazes back at me with a look that would have wrecked a lesser man, her moist lips slightly open, her eyes wide and luminous, her nostrils flaring, her need to be spanked by me etched as strongly into her skin as a tattoo. Over the course of our relationship, I figured out just what sets her off, and I know how to take her into that magic subspace where just the sound of my voice and a simple tug of her hair or snap of my fingers cinder into it. I let go of her hair, catching the gentlest of sighs pass from her lips. Her ass is right there, all mine for the taking, wide and round and pale and perfect. She's got just enough meat on her bones to make her rump perfect for spanking. Girls who are too thin make me worry. I might truly be hurting them. And I like asses that are wide enough to cover a range of smacks, ones where I need to hit them a few times to cover the entire cheek. I place my left hand on her lower back, letting my thumb graze her upper edge of her asshole. I'd love to press it against her sweet puckered hole. But I save that for Evangeline. With Laura, it's about hinting, dancing around the edge of our desire, getting the most of the hang bang for our buck, if you will. I press down against her body, ensuring that she won't jerk when the first blow lands, and then I raise my hand and bring it crashing down against her right cheek, hearing the boom, seeing her skin go from pale into pink in moments. One, sir, she says, her voice loud and direct. It always starts off strong. 
as if she's trying to show me exactly how powerful she can be when spread across my lap. By the end, I have her whimpering out her numbers if I'm doing my job half right. I roll her slightly forward to the best angle. Then I do the same to her left cheek, too, she responds. I keep going until ten, my palms stinging as the heat roars through our flesh. I pause there, rubbing my palm against her curves, ready to take things to the next level. I tell her to get up unceremoniously and shove her off me. My cock is pressing hard against my jeans. I'm dying to whip it out and touch myself, even for a minute, but I know that could lead to dangerous territory. If her mouth goes anywhere near my dick, as besotted as I am with Evangeline, I would not be able to resist. So I keep it in my pants and work out my arousal another way. She gives me that look again, the one that silently begs for more, the one that tells me without even looking how turned on she is. I tell her to bend over the bed and she hobbles up, knowing I don't mean for her to change any part of her attire. Not only do I like to see her bent over, but I like to know this means that her piercings of pressing against her sensitive nipples, arousing her further. Her skirt has flipped back down to caress the curves of her ass, so I push it back up, noting how already in a few minutes the redness of her cheeks has faded slightly. I pick up the belt, wrapping its sturdy leather around my hand, and then running it across her cheeks, tapping lightly. She moans, her head turned to the side, her eyes closed as if lost in her own personal reverie. I need to snap her out of whatever she is in right now and bring her back to me. I push the belt to her lips, starting her eyes open. I tell her to kiss it and tell me what number is next. Something breaks open inside me, swelling not only my cock but also my insides, puffing me up when my lips purse immediately. She gives me the belt. She gives the belt a solid smack and then says the most matter-of-fact tone, 11, as if telling me what she made for dinner. Her eyes watch me, this time not most begging as seeking, staring back at me as an equal partner in our game. She knows how much I like to spank her, and I know how badly she needs it. But both of us go along the same game anyway, adding to the thrill, actually making the thrill happen, without me on top of her. Spanking her would be no fun at all. Something a machine could do quite as well. Get ready, I say to her as I move to the side so I can directly hover over her ass. Something about a woman's bottom when it looks even hotter, when it's raised the way that she has it, so round, so firm so tempting, as if it was made with just such a kinky proposal in mind. I let the belt whiz through the air once, and it snaps, a crackle and a pop to my ears. I strike the air again right next to her ass. She squeaks a high-pitched noise that sounds beautiful as any melody. I strike the air for real, this time slashing, and then stripes down suddenly against her flesh, searing her skin in a way that her hand simply cannot do. Eleven, she chokes out, in her robotic voice, as if it were not a number but a normal response that had been struck down. The pain blooms instantly on her skin, the pain lying with her want to lean down and kiss her, taking away her pain and almost as enticing as causing it. But we have 40, 34 more whacks to go. 
I let the belt lash against the area where her ass cheeks meet in her upper thighs, that never-never land of sensual flesh that is disproportionately tender. Like when I'm fucking and trying to hold off from coming, I have to think about something else for a moment besides the beauty of her welting curves, the dome of my posture, her have-me-not stance, her yours-is-mine body language. Sometimes I wonder if the constraints of our spanking dinks ought too much for either of us to bear. Evangeline has my heart, plain and simple, but my cock, my hands, my mouth, my power. Those I would share with Laura if I could. Instead, I must convey all that I want to do with her with these strokes, these beatings that take on so much more of their share than emotional energy. She calls out the number as I belt slams against her ass, spreading her legs enough to give me a glimpse of what's between them. I haven't told her to, but I haven't told her not to, and for the moment I let it go, too pleased with the slick pink shine to see the way through to argue. I drop the belt at twenty-five, then pick up the wooden paddle. I could insist on the blindfold, but I like the look on her face when she sees what I'm half holding on to, what I half need. It's like the look Evangeline gives me right before she comes, as if she's tempted to push me away, to stay teetering on the precipice instead of dropping over the waterfall's edge. I know my job is to urge her on, for the reward is always greater than the risk. The pain lasts for only a few moments, her ass smarting, but the pleasure will keep Laura going for days. I hold the toy that resembles a ping-pong paddle only thicker, with holes to let air through, the tilt of my wrist to let it fly against her reddened cheek. Twenty-six comes out muffled as she absorbs the blow. I pause, trailing the backs of my fingers along her skin and then pinching a hit between my thumb and forefinger. I kneel down between her and pull her cheeks apart, staring at the forbidden fruit of her pussy. I need to come, but I can't interrupt the flow of our play. I deliver the final blows with the black leather paddle and the simple yet stern one, its shiny surface too cheerful for the kind of sting it delivers. Her voice rises and falls as my arm does the same until her ass rivals her lips in terms of redness even after she's gnawed on the lower lip while taking her punishment. If she were Angeline, I'd simply pull down my zipper, get behind her, and shove my cock deep in her waiting hole. She'd convulse instantly around me, tears of joy filling her eyes but not spilling out. While I've marveled at her and how hot her heat seemed to travel into my body, I'd try but fail to wait and simply pump my hot lava into her tight hole, the explosion feeling truly volcanic. But she's Laura my play partner, my standing spank date, my toy, even though she means no less to me where it counts, because it's she, and not my girlfriend. I'm going to wait and jerk off until she leaves. But she can't wait, and we both know it. I order her to lie down on her back. It takes her a few seconds through the haze of arousal to get in position, but I let her have them, knowing that the crisp, clean sheets are rubbing against her sore ass. She's going to remove her panties, but I steal her hand and tell her to keep them on, sliding them down to her ankles and hearing the fabric strain and rip slightly. I don't care. I stand between her legs, holding her feet apart as she looks up at my nay, towering presence, my erection partially undoing my zipper on its own. 
She used to be tentative, taking light swipes at her clit, not really indulging in her masturbation ritual until a good half hour passed. Now she gets right into it, shoving three fingers deep inside. Her other hand tweaks her nipples into tight, fierce points. I tell her to fuck herself for me. And that's her reward for taking the spanking like a good girl, even though she was late, and even though she's a very bad girl at her core. I like to punish and reward her at the same time when I can plant a seed of doubt so her climax seems to glide over her, making her curl into herself. I let her go, and her panties slide off as she does when she needs to. I'm absolutely turned on, but I'm also wistful, wishing I could touch her help her take her to that high place. She gives me her panties as a present, a souvenir that will sustain me. Until the next time, a little secret for me to hide away, a compromise between my allegiance to Evangeline and my unquenchable need for Laura, her sweet ass. I tell her that I'll see her again at six, right on the dot. And I ask her as she steps into her gargantuan shoes, the height making her look older and wiser, but also more needful of a spanking. She nods, and I grab her chin, grabbing a hold of her face, tell her not to be late again. She may really get what's coming to her. I try and summon that proper vengeful tone, but I can't quite get there, because no matter how late she is, I'll still want, or need, to spank her, still lust after her, and dream about her ass even when I have a girl's from curves right next to me. And no matter what... I use on Laura when she's bent over, no matter how firmly I plant my hand on her skin as she's asking me for harder and stronger. She knows who really holds the paddle in this relationship. She's got me exactly where she wants me. On top. Looking down at her. Hand raised. Dick hard. And if you want to know the truth, there's nowhere else I'd rather be. Late for a Spanking by Rachel Bustle Kramer. Guys, that's the show. That's the show. You want a longer show? You got to come to the next one. You got to come out. You got to bring some friends. You got to start on the show. Shush. The show. Shush, shush, shush. That's it. That's all I got. I had a lot of fun. I hope you did too. I meant every word I said at the beginning about, you know, investing in yourself. These strange times, don't let how you've defined yourself before today be how you necessarily have to define yourself after today. You, your experience is unique. You are valuable. Don't worry if you're broke and you want to pay me and you're crying all night about that. You'll get another job. You'll pay me eventually. We'll have fun. We'll be here. I'll be here. Come to the server. The girls are great. I'm trying not in any way to bring grumpy or negative energy onto the server. I'm doing okay with it. Mostly good. So come on out. If you need it, whatever you need, send me a message. Really good at responding to fans these days. So thank you very much for being a fan. It's going to get all right. Be all right. It really is. 
Take care of yourself. Make smart choices. You're going to be okay. It's all strange and it's all happening quick, but you're gonna be fine. All right, guys. I hope to see you next Friday, 10 Eastern, on the server. Yes, I know that doesn't work for everybody. Yes, I know with everybody at home, I will absolutely be doing at least one Patreon show, at least one open show for other times in April. I promise. I promise. I promise. Let me let me get used to my new normal, and then I can I can start trying to move some stuff into yours. So thank you again. That is the live show. I am the Grey Nine. I hope to see you next time. Thank you for enjoying the podcast. Please keep sharing it with your friends and everybody on social. You're really killing it with that in 2020. I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much. One last time. Bye.